And what a great reminder that God's love never fails. No matter what happens, guys, everything changes around us, but God's love never fails. I hope you hear that reminder and more today. I'm Billy. I'm one of your pastors here. I'm glad you're here for worship. Let's be called into worship and sing, open up the heavens together. Let's stand.
Who stopped singing Open Up the Floodgates? <laughs> it's been a tough few days for a lot of people. We need to keep a lot of our friends in our prayers who've had tough issues with their basements and flooding and things like that. So, hey, glad you're here, gang. And uh, before you have a seat, um, say hi to somebody you don't know and maybe tell them how many people know that their basement's flooded. <laughs> And uh, watch the screens. Let's have a seat, and uh, we'll see what's going on this week at church. Good morning again. Bible Camp Week at Hopevale. It is upon us. Can you believe it? Well, hey, uh, I mean, as you came in the building, first of all, I mean, obviously you noticed something a little bit different. Uh, just incredible job by all the teams working uh, for weeks and weeks and hours and hours to put all of these decorations together, really to just create an awesome environment for our kids to come in and hear about uh, just how God has made them and how he's designed them and who he has designed them to be, that he loves them he cares for them. He desires to have a relationship with them. And so we are very excited to share that message with all the kids who come through the doors this week. And it's not too late for you if you want to sign up to be a part of that. We have a spot for about uh, 20 guides still. And so uh, I would be a guide role for kids that run across the age ranges. And so you know, it just could be your opportunity to lead a small group of kids around from station to station as they experience and learn different things, and for you to just love on them, to encourage them, uh, and just help them have a great time here during Bible Camp this coming week. So if that sounds like something that would interest you, just encourage you to stop by uh, those stations in the lobby. You can find out more about what it would look like to be a guide. 
And having said that, it is also not too late to, late to sign up any other campers. So you can do that today or even tomorrow night when it starts at 6.30. So we hope to see you there. Hey, as we uh, get into the summer a little bit, uh, July is next week, if you can believe that. And with that, we have a, just a couple scheduling differences. And one of the things that we're going to do is open up the family venue uh, down the hall here. And uh, just a space for families to go to. Uh, maybe kids are running around some worksheets for the kids and things like that. So uh, throughout the summer, Children's Ministries, uh, Tot Town and Kid City, their hours are going to uh, not always be standardly consistent. And so the best thing for you to do with that would just be to check our website. There's a summer schedule tab uh, that you can press and just find out week in and week out the specifics of what's going on that morning. So, so please check that out. Well, as we continue in worship today, I want to invite the ushers to come forward as we prepare to give. You know, and as you just step back for a minute and, and you just look at and kind of uh, take in what's going to be happening here in this facility this week, it's just kind of a great picture and a great reminder of why we give so that we can do these kinds of things, so that we can just equip and unleash people and their giftedness to share about the love of Christ uh, with people in their lives. And so as we give this morning, I just want to kind of keep that picture in mind and just uh, go to the Lord in prayer and just give it all to him for what he's going to do through that. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for uh, this day that we have to be together in this space and just praise and worship your name. God, you deserve it. You are worthy of it. And we are just excited about this opportunity through Bible Camp to declare who you are uh, to, the, to the young kids who walk through the doors. They're with their friends. They're, they're looking at all of the awesome gadgets and gizmo stuff that's surrounding them. Uh, and Lord, we just hope that that just sets the stage for them to be able to hear about who you are and about how you deeply love them and want to invite you into relationship with yourself, God. And so Lord, as we prepare to give, Lord, we just, we give uh, knowing that everything is yours to begin with. Lord, you have entrusted us as stewards. And so God, it is our heart that you would just take and use these gifts to further your kingdom here on this earth. God, in four Bible camp this week, just all of the, the hours that have been poured into it to this point and all of the hundreds and hundreds of people who will be in the facility this week just pouring into kids and sharing your good news, we just pray your hand of blessing on all of that and that through your Holy Spirit, you would just work in the hearts and lives of everybody who is in the building and that at the end of the day, you would be praised and glorified uh, because you deserve it, Lord. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Thanks, Pastor Adam. Hey, while you're giving this morning, we're going to um, sing a feature song for you, so you can just sit and take this in. If you know it, I would love for you to sing along with us even a little bit later in the song. Um, and let's prepare our hearts as we prepare to take communion. So this is really a song of adoration toward our King Jesus. Hope you like it. All things have passed. Away. Your love has stayed the same. Your constant grace remains the cornerstone. Things that we thought. 
let's continue in a spirit of worship and have a seat and prepare our hearts for communion with this video. Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Ken, Associate Senior Pastor here at Hopevale. And I, I hope our Collision Course series has really encouraged you and helped you with uh, the conflicts in your life to handle them in a way that pleases God and brings you peace. Peace. Because when we're in the middle of conflict, that's, we have everything but peace, don't we? And it seems like the closer we are to a person that we're on the outs with or having some struggle with, maybe the more intense the conflict is, the, the less we have peace, don't we? Oh. And the truth is that that's true in our relationship with God as well. Do you realize before you and I met the Lord Jesus as our Savior that we were in conflict with God? And the Bible uses words like enemy, and uh, a conflict and a battle in our minds and all these different things. This was true of our relationship with God before we met Christ. And you may have tried to keep yourself busy with distractions or to pursue religious experiences or just to ignore and deny the restlessness and emptiness in your life. But ultimately, nothing and no one can fix our broken relationship with God on their own. And without Jesus, we're all left with this aloneness and emptiness that comes from this broken relationship with God. And the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship with Israel, God's covenant people, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Listen to those words again. We, we were without hope and without God in the world before we knew Christ. That's what our conflict with God, our sin against God, our 
sin against others, that's what it resulted in for us before we knew Christ. And whether we realized that or not, or whether we just lived our lives and, and felt some of the effects of that, and many of you have expressed that in being, being part of, of other churches and trying to uh, make your relationship right with God and know Him better, just feeling this aloneness, feeling this emptiness, feeling this separation with God that comes before we know the Lord Jesus as our Savior, as our Lord. And I love what Paul says following that verse. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. God brought us near. He brought us to himself through the death of his son Jesus. And when you and I gave up the conflict and asked for God's forgiveness and put our trust in the Lord Jesus as our Savior, believing that he died not just for the sins of the world, but for me, for my sins, for my conflict with God. Jesus died for me. He rose again for me. And we did that. The Apostle Paul says, in the authority of God's Word, he says, God brought us near. He forgave us. He reconciled with us. That's a good Bible word, reconcile. It's a beautiful word. God reconciled with us. That's the good news of Jesus. And that's what we remember today as we share this simple meal that Jesus gave us together. We remember that God the Father, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit together did everything needed to bring us back to him, to reconcile with us, to forgive us, to build the bridge, to end the conflict, to give us peace, peace between us and God, peace in our hearts, and the possibility, really, of peace with other people because God's at work in our own heart. And as we share in communion together today, let's tell the Father, Jesus, God's Son, the Holy Spirit, in the words of the song that we just sang, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for doing everything needed to build the bridge back to yourself, back to God. And at Hopevale, we invite all believers in Jesus Christ uh, to share in communion with us, regardless of whether or not you are part of this church family. If you are part of God's family, if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, we invite you uh, to take part in communion today. If you have not yet given your life to Jesus, if you're thinking about this, if you're new to Hopevale, if you're if you're wondering, what, what is this all about? This is different from any church, any experience I've had before. If that's, if that's you this morning, then we ask that you'll let the bread and the cup pass by. And that's out of respect for what we're doing here. And we don't want you to enter into something that you're not ready for spiritually. But this is a good time to ask yourself, to consider what is keeping me from giving my life to Jesus Christ.
What is keeping you? And many people at Hopevale have this testimony that it was at a communion service just like this, that they took communion for the first time in a very different way, that they took communion as their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, as their trust in Him, that Jesus gave His body, signified by the bread that we'll eat. Jesus shed His blood, signified by the cup that we'll drink. He did all this for, for us, to take away our offenses, to reconcile us to God if we will believe in Him. So let this be the day. Let this be the first day of you giving your life to Jesus Christ in a personal way, not a religious way, but an individual and a personal way, becoming a child of God, asking God's forgiveness, and being brought near to Him. Let this be your day. And then take communion with us as a child of God. Wouldn't that be awesome? We also ask our parents to use discretion with your kids. Parents, if if your kids know the Lord Jesus, then help them share in communion with us this morning. There's no age barrier if they know Christ. But if they have not yet put their trust in Christ, we ask you to help them let the elements pass by. And this is a good opportunity to talk to your kids later today about what communion really means to them. So I want to invite our servers to come forward now, and let's prepare our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks for your great love for us, a, a love beyond really what we can think or what we can imagine, but Lord, we, we know that you have promised us forgiveness and reconciliation through the obedient life, through the sacrificial death on the cross and through the resurrection of your son Jesus. And Lord, we say together this morning, we believe. We believe. We trust in the work that you have done to reconcile us to yourself, to bring forgiveness to us, to bring a transformation of our heart, to make us the people that you created us to be. We believe. And Lord, we love you. Thank you that we can share in this bread now which signifies your body, Lord Jesus, which was given for us on the cross. We love you and we worship you. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, blessed it, gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Scarcely for a good person, Lord, would someone dare to die, but you showed your love for us in this, that while we were your enemies, while we were in conflict with you, Jesus died for us. And Lord Jesus, Thank you for shedding your blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins and fulfilling all of the pictures and promises of the Old Testament and what you did on the cross for us. 
Lord, we thank you. We love you. Amen. Let's continue to worship together as we take the cup. You stood before creation. It's
may be seated. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own will. Jesus freely gave his life. He didn't have to go through. He, he wasn't trapped in a situation that he couldn't get out of. He was God the Son. He willingly gave his life. And when you see the story of the Bible that God from the very beginning, the Bible says, which I don't understand, but from before the foundation of the earth, God knew that we were going to walk away from him, we were going to be in conflict with him, separated from him, and God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit planned our redemption, planned our forgiveness, and it meant the cross. It meant God the Father being separated from God the Son in a way that I'm not even sure we'll understand in eternity. But what we do understand is Jesus loved us so much that he willingly gave his life for us. He willingly shed his blood for us. And all we can do, stand in awe and say, Lord, I give my heart to you. I give my life to you. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. You deserve it all. So on the, the same night after the meal, the Lord Jesus took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we do stand in awe of what you have done for us. And Lord, fill us with awe. Increase my awe in what you have done. Sometimes we get familiar with these words. We get familiar with these times of communion. And Lord, we don't want to. We want to stand in awe of what you have done for us and say that we love you and say that we give our lives to follow you, to be part of the good news and spreading this good news in our own community, in our own families. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for reconciliation. Thank you for peace with you. We love you and we thank you. And Lord, be with Pastor Dan as he brings your word to us now. Teach us, challenge us, encourage us, mold us, transform our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a great morning together, and I love that line, to offer our hearts to you, Lord, completely to you. Well, today we're wrapping up our Collision Course series where we've been looking into Scripture and learning from the wisdom of God on how we can navigate well 
through all the different kinds of relational conflicts we encounter in life. Our theme passage for this series has been Romans 12, verse 18. I think you know it by now. Here we go. Let's just say it with me. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Peace is the goal. That's what we're shooting for throughout our relational world. Live at peace with everyone, the Apostle Paul commands us, with the realization, however, that sometimes peace isn't possible in a particular relationship, and that as hard as we try, there's only so much we can do on our end, because resolving conflict, achieving peace, right, in a strained relationship, that requires both sides to be involved. So do what you can, we've learned in this series, but leave the rest to God, if it is possible. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everything, everyone. So with that as our foundation, we worked our way through some essential conflict resolutions principles from the Bible that get us beyond our natural conflict tendencies of what? Of staying mad, being right, and getting even. No, the gospel of Jesus Christ that we've just celebrated through communion, it frees us from that kind of bondage. It leads us into the blessings that Jesus promises to the peacemakers among us. And then this month, we took those principles, we applied them to key relationships in our lives. We started off by looking at the words of Jesus in Matthew 5 and Matthew 18 on how to navigate through conflicts that we have with other Christians in the church. Then this month, uh, the next week, Kathy and I, a couple weeks ago, tag-teamed a message about working through conflict in marriage. I'm pleased to report there hasn't been too much conflict after that message either. So, And then last Sunday, Pastor Sam did a great job on Father's Day talking about conflict in the home, especially between parents and children, that we as moms and dads, we need to fight for those relationships, to have the kind of courageous love to address conflict head on. Otherwise, avoiding conflict now means inviting consequences later. And as we saw in the life of David, those consequences can be very serious. So navigating conflict well in our church, in our marriage, in our home, that's where we've been. And while we're not going to perfect that this side of heaven, can you imagine how wonderful life would be if we really got a good handle on those three areas? I mean, think about it, that these perennial sources of fear and anger and worry and stress and anxiety would instead bring us the deep and abiding peace that God intends. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, that's what's at stake when we can work through conflict well and when the Holy Spirit works in our lives, right? And we submit our will to his ways. But as great as that is, Even if we're able to experience that, these three vital relationships don't compose the entirety of our life, do they? No, they don't, because beyond church, beyond marriage, beyond family, there is still life with other people, life in our world, life in our culture, life in a society filled with people who aren't always going to see eye to eye with what we believe. And so with everything in our worship service that we've affirmed today, that we've celebrated, that we have wholeheartedly engaged in, You and I will encounter people in life who will view it differently. And that difference may range anywhere from a casual indifference, yeah, go ahead, you do your church thing or whatever that is, just leave me alone, right? Casual indifference to hostile intolerance. How can you be so religious? How can you be so narrow-minded in your beliefs? And whether it's casual indifference, hostile intolerance, or anything in between, that's where the collisions come from. I mean, part of me wishes that God could give us a pass 
right? Now, we could just focus on those big three, you know, church, marriage, family, but he doesn't. You know, what does he say? He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with just the people you like. No. <laughs> live at peace with everyone. So today, let's talk about conflict and peace with other people in a culture that isn't always going to be faith-friendly. And how do we do that? What does that look like? That's what we're going to explore. And to start, I want to share with you some words that Jesus shared with his disciples when he was talking to them about the exact same thing. Now, here's the setting, that after months of these guys observing Jesus's ministry and miracles and messages, he pulls together his 12 disciples and he sends them out to further his mission. So their job is to go out among the people in their own culture and proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near, just like Jesus proclaimed. And not only that, but to support the believability of this kingdom message, Jesus also gives his disciples a supernatural ability to perform miracles. That's right, perform miracles. And we're talking about some pretty wild stuff like healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, driving out demons. He empowers them to do that. So now their mission is to both show and tell that the kingdom of God is now at hand. Now on the surface you think, wow, wouldn't that be great? to talk to other people about your faith in Jesus and then to back up those words with all these mind-blowing miracles? I mean, after something like that, who wouldn't believe, right? Well, not exactly, because along with the mission and with the authority to perform miracles, Jesus also warned them that not everyone is going to be receptive to the good news they're going to share. Yes, some will welcome them, but others will turn them away, and Jesus instructed them on how to respond to both those situations. Now, that kind of had to be disheartening for the disciples to hear. I mean, think about it. They've seen Jesus do all these incredible things. They've heard his wonderful teaching. They are on board with the Jesus hype train. And they're so into it, they can't possibly imagine why anyone else would also want to get on board. And so to set their expectations, to give them a framework on how to think about their mission, Jesus shares these words with them. Matthew 10, verse 16. I am sending you out, he says to his disciples, like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Now, think about it. In this one verse, you've got four different creatures. It's like some nature program on the Discovery Channel, right? You have what? You have sheep, you have wolves, you have snakes, you have doves. What does all that mean? What did it mean to them? What does it mean for us? Well, let's break it down. Let's start with Jesus' first statement. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now, you don't have to be a zoologist to get the gist of what Jesus is trying to tell them here, right? <laughs> I mean, if these two animals are going to have an encounter with each other, who would you rather be? A defenseless sheep or a ravenous wolf? Yeah, that's what I thought. Me too, right? Not a fair fight, is it? So why would Jesus tell them something like this? I mean, this has to be the worst pregame speech ever given. I am sending you out on a mission. You're going to do great. You're going to be just like a fluffy little sheep in a pack of hungry wolves. Woo! Now go get them. <laughs> you know, maybe it's me, but I don't see Jim Harbaugh giving a pep talk like that, right? So what's Jesus saying here? Well, I don't think he's trying to be a defeatist but he does want to be a realist. He wants them and us to go through life with eyes wide open, to realize that conflict with others in our culture, 
who see life differently than we do, it will be inevitable. It will, and I think it's important for us to understand that. See, when there are differences between people with something so fundamental as faith and belief and what we believe matters most, it's eventually going to show up somehow. Now, in a lot of cases, it might just look like avoidance, but in other cases, it might be hostility, aggression, people being threatened by your commitment to Jesus. I mean, look at what Jesus says elsewhere to his disciples about this. In John 15, he says this, that if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Now, I got to admit, this is a tough passage to read. I don't think there's anyone here in this room who wants to be hated who feels good knowing that is a distinct possibility. But take another look at this passage. Who is doing the hating? Jesus says, it is the world, which is not so much the people in the world, as it is the scriptural term for this system of everything around us that stands in opposition to God. It is a real spiritual unseen force that shapes our way of thinking, that manipulates our desires, that distorts how we view life around us like how we see people or what we value most in life. That is the world as the Bible describes it. And so as a Christian, Jesus says, we are people who have been brought out, rescued out of this anti-God system and brought into God's forever family and his eternal kingdom. That's where the hatred and the conflict and the difference stems from. It doesn't originate with people, but it can show up in people. People who are caught up in the values and the mindset that this world system promotes. Things like live for yourself. Things like live for the present. And there's a lot more we could say there, but back to Jesus' words in Matthew 10. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. The point is that as you live out your Christian faith in this culture, you're going to run into conflict. Doesn't mean you're necessarily doing something wrong. Doesn't necessarily mean that the other person is evil and malicious. No, as a Christian, it just means that you are someone who has been rescued out of the clutches of this world and opposition to the things of God, and yet also you're sent back into it. Rescued out of, but sent back into it. So as long as you have sheep and wolves who are thrown into the mix together, there is going to be conflict. There's going to be conflict, so don't let it catch you off guard. So what do you do then about the inevitability of these culture collisions? Again, back to the passage. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. What an image, isn't that? As shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. What does Jesus mean by that? Well, let's take them one by one. First, what does it mean for us to be as shrewd as snakes? Well, the dictionary defines shrewd as someone who is astute or sharp, in practical matters. Astute or sharp in practical matters. I like that because it reminds me of the difference between book smart and street smart. You've heard that before, right? That people who are book smart, they have a lot of head knowledge, right? High IQ, perfect grades, they've aced the ACTs and SATs, they've got multiple college degrees, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Now, with the word shrewd, he is talking more about street smart, someone who knows how the world works, someone who's able to get things done, someone who can read other people, someone who has keen insight into human nature, the good, the bad, and the ugly. No doubt Jesus has the Garden of Eden in mind and the image of Satan the snake tricking Adam and Eve into disobedience. Now, not shrewd as in deceptive, but shrewd as in clever. 
right? Not book smart, but street smart. So let's make this practical for us, right? And I know this is going to sound blunt, but we as Christians, we can be some of the most naive people in the world. We can. We can be incredibly trusting, which isn't a bad thing, but we can tend to believe anything that people tell us, which then makes us an easy mark for them to take advantage of us. Now, that's not meant to scold anyone here, because I'm included in that group. It's just meant to be an observation of what I've seen. So take, for instance, you know, a business that promotes itself as a Christian company, and so we automatically assume that they're completely trustworthy and throw all common sense out the window. Or take the numerous heart-wrenching sob stories our church office has heard through the years from quote-unquote needy people looking for help, only to discover later that they're being tracked by the township police, right, for running the same scan with 10 other churches in our community. Now listen, I'm not saying that to make you paranoid, certainly not trying to discourage you from helping people in need, but there is a reason why the writers of Scripture use that image of a wolf who is dressed in what kind of clothing? Sheep clothing, right? So be as shrewd as snakes, Jesus says. Draw upon the wisdom of God's word, God's spirit, God's people to be discerning, right? That's a great word, discerning, where you're able to size up a situation for how it really is and not just how it appears to be. Shrewd as snakes, so that's one half of the equation, but Jesus doesn't stop there, and I'm glad he doesn't stop there. Because if he did, I think we'd all turn into these suspicious and cynical people where we just keep to ourselves and we don't trust anyone, especially if you've been burned before by someone who's taken advantage of you. Now, it's one thing to be guarded and cautious at times. That's okay. But it's another thing to build a wall around your heart so you never get hurt again. Because when you do that, a walled heart eventually turns into a hardened heart. And if you've got a hard heart, you're never going to be able to live out what Jesus calls the greatest commandment, to love God, to love people with everything you've got. And so, yes, as you seek to live out your faith in this culture, be shrewd as snakes, but also, what does Jesus say? He says, be as innocent as doves. Other English translations, be gentle or harmless as doves, which simply to me means this, keep your heart soft. By the grace of God, keep your heart soft. Don't let suspicion and mistrust rule how you live. Now, I know that might sound like a contradiction to everything I've said up to this point about being shrewd, but it's not meant to contradict. It's meant to complement. Shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. They're meant to go together just like grace and truth. So how do you keep your heart soft? How do you stay innocent as a dove? Ultimately, it comes down to trusting in God's word, to cooperate with God's work in your life. Because left to ourselves, in our own devices, when we run into conflict, our initial reaction is going to want to play by the same rules that others do, right? Don't get mad, get even. Do unto others before they do unto you, and on and on it goes. But the Bible gives us a different vision. The Bible gives us a better path. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And what's he like? He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Theologians call this God's common grace. God is gracious in this extent to everyone. 
he goes on, and there's just like a little sarcasm and snark here in Jesus, right? He says, you know, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? In other words, if that's your standard, it's a pretty low standard. And if you, verse 47, greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, what's he saying here? He says, aim to live by his higher standards, rather than just stooping down and rolling around in the mud of this culture with everyone else. Hatred, revenge, those are natural responses when you encounter conflict in a hostile world. But don't be that person, Jesus says. Don't let your heart get poisoned by bitterness and animosity. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute. And as hard as that is, that's what dove-like innocence looks like. I am sending you out, Jesus says, like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and, and as innocent as doves. So what do we take from all that? I mean, if we're to live at peace with everyone and blessed are the peacemakers, how does that square with us being sent out on a mission as Christians into a culture as sheep among wolves? Well, as we begin to wrap up, let me share a few final principles with you that as we seek to live out our faith in this culture, three things. First, don't go looking for conflict, but also don't be surprised when it happens. Don't go looking for conflict, but don't also be surprised when it happens. You know, we've talked a lot about this one already. It's a healthy reminder for us as believers, especially for those of us who fall in one of two camps on the grace and truth spectrum. See, if we're more truth than grace, then we're the kind of people who are tempted to pick a fight with everyone in our culture, even when there isn't a fight there. Truth people can be so passionate about the rightness of their beliefs that it blinds them to the needs of others. I've said this before, but there is a difference between having convictions versus just being obnoxious, right? So yes, Jesus tells us as his followers that in this world you will have trouble, but he doesn't mean that we're the ones who are supposed to stir up that trouble all the time, right? So don't go looking for conflict, but also don't be surprised when it happens. See, for those of us on the other end of the spectrum who lean more towards grace than truth, we're the ones who can tend to be overly sensitive when we encounter any kind of conflict and opposition. Not only does it catch us off guard, but we'll take the blame for it. We'll start apologizing for everything, even when it's not our fault. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Guess what? In the culture we live in, we're going to run into opposition. Not everyone is going to like what you stand for, so don't be surprised when conflict happens. That's the first principle. Here's the second. Disagree without being disagreeable. Disagree without being disagreeable. We live in very disagreeable times, don't we? Politically, racially, economically, religiously, everywhere. And it seems like everyone gets so worked up about everything. And when you're immersed in that kind of environment, it's so easy to get sucked into all that outrage, right? Where we let every news story, every Facebook post, every political commentary get to us. And when it does, it just further distracts us from the God we worship, the hope we have, and the, the calling we're to live out as followers of Jesus. So be careful not to get sucked into all the outrage. I think of the wisdom of Proverbs 22, verse 24, verse 25. says, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Or what? Or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared, right? 
It's what happens when you're around outrage all the time and lose your focus on the Lord. So don't be disagreeable in your nature, and yet it's okay to disagree with others. It is. You know, I think of the word tolerance in the classic definition of that word, something we've so drifted so far away from in our culture. Because true tolerance is permitting or allowing a, a conduct or point of view that one disagrees with while respecting the other person in the process. Unfortunately, we've lost that sense of the word today, where if you hold a viewpoint that's different than someone else, you run the risk of being labeled as what? Bigoted, intolerant. Again, don't be hostile and combative in your approach. But don't apologize for what you believe. Look at this. This is the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 3.15. He says that we as Christians should what? Should always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, right? We've celebrated that hope today, the hope we have in Jesus. It's okay to speak out about that, but what does he go on to say? But do this with gentleness and respect. Don't back down, but don't be disagreeable with gentleness and respect. And in those times, because it happens, in those times when you run out of gentleness and respect and that other person keeps on attacking you, you know what Jesus says you should do? Walk away. Shake the dust off your feet and just move on. You don't do that to put them down. You don't do that to prove a point. It's just a realization that at least in that moment, you're not going to get anywhere with them. So just walk away, right? By the grace of God, there is a way to disagree with other people without being disagreeable. And then finally, as Christians living out our faith in this culture, keep on loving people and never give up. When you and I as Christians keep on colliding with our culture, it's so tempting to want to retreat from all that animosity and conflict to just hang out with people who see things the exact same way we do. It is not always pleasant to be a sheep that is sent out among wolves, and yet that's exactly what Jesus calls us to do. Again, I think of the words of the Apostle Peter who wrote two books in the New Testament to Christians who not just collided with their culture, but who were also being crushed by their culture. They were first-century believers facing such intense persecution that many of them just felt like giving up. And so Peter would often encourage them with the Lord's promise of how he was going to come back to this earth again to make everything right by establishing his kingdom fully, finally, and forever. That was the great Christian hope for them. It's also our great Christian hope. But in the midst of waiting... In the midst of wondering while evil is still allowed to flourish, Peter told them this in 2 Peter 3.9. He says that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, what? Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why hasn't the Lord come back yet? not out of slowness, nor has he broken his promise. Now, you know what the reason is? It's love. It's his incredibly patient love that deeply desires as many people as possible would come to know him personally and experience that love and forgiveness for themselves. 
not wanting anyone to perish in their sin, their stubbornness, their disbelief and disobedience, to perish spiritually, to perish eternally, but that everyone would come to repentance, that everyone would come to wholehearted faith in the one and only Son of God and Savior of mankind, Jesus Christ. You need to know that the God that we have worshipped today, he is incredibly patient in his love. And it's not just his incredible patience with those of us who still mess up, and we do, but he's also incredibly patient with everyone else who walks this earth. He's incredibly patient with those that we encounter that seem so stubborn, that seem so resistant to the things of God. He is patient because he is loving. That's why we keep on loving people and never give up. As a matter of fact, it's the reason why we're doing Bible camp this week. So yes, it is a blessing to kids and family who are already part of our church, but it's not just for them. It's also for everyone else. Because our God, he doesn't want anyone, no matter where they be, open, receptive, hostile, wherever they are, he doesn't want anyone to miss out on his love. That's why we go. That's why we serve. That's why we love. You know, I'm so thankful for those of you who have already committed to serve God and love kids this week. And as Pastor Adam said, there's still room for others of you to join them. But whether it's Bible camp this week or it's anything else that Jesus has in store for us, he sends us out. The sheep among wolves, to be shrewd as snakes, to be innocent as doves, sent out into a culture where, yes, we're going to experience conflicts, we're going to experience collisions with others, but as we go in his name, Jesus promises us that we, will not be, that we won't be alone, that his presence, his peace, his power will be with us always. So let's be the kind of church, right, that not just gathers for worship in here, but also goes forth in love out there, to be this community of grace and truth that invites other people to know and follow Jesus with us. Let's pray together. And God, thank you that, as Pastor Ken so eloquently put it during communion, you pushed past our hostility, our resistance, when we were ensnared by the world and its false promises of where life is truly found, and you called us to yourself. And so we go out, sheep among wolves, wise as snakes, innocent as doves, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. We go out, we go forth to love in your name, even <laughs> those who don't love us back, even with those who are going to disagree where we're coming from. We go because that's what you call us to. And thank you. Uh, I think so many of us in this room have stories of people who went to us and now, Jesus, out of great gratitude to who you are, we just want to pay that forward and be the kind of church that goes forward to shine your light and to share your love. Because there is a message that hope and life and love and forgiveness are found in Jesus Christ, in him alone. Because our Jesus, our Christ, is more than enough. We pray in his name. Amen. Let's stand together and respond in worship.
Let's be that kind of church that follows Jesus wherever he leads us. Uh, so this week, Bible camp, things start tomorrow night. Can't wait, so excited. And again, if, if you're not involved, keep us in your prayers. Literally hundreds of kids on our church campus uh, every evening to hear the wonderful love of Jesus Christ. Next week, Pastor Billy and I are going to share a message. We're going to talk about the importance of worship and the place of music in that. Looking forward to that, but as you go, go in the strength and the confidence of knowing that Jesus Christ is enough. God bless you.